Welcome to Muskegon History and Beyond with the Lakeshore Museum Center. On our podcast today, we are going to look into the story of a lifelong Muskegon criminal whose story of crime and escape seems nearly impossible. I mean, every time I thought the story was over, there ended up being another twist and turn, another news story about how he had escaped authorities and was on the run after his latest escapade. Today, we look at the life of crime of George H. McCoy. I mean, George E. McCoy. Or was it Charles M. McCoy? Or Charles H. Or Charles McCorrell, aka Michael Conley, aka James Donovan? I hope you're getting my point here. The guy had a lot of aliases, and for good reasons. For the sake of ease and to not confuse you, I will be referring to him as George McCoy from here on out, as this was his most common name and birth name. At least, I'm pretty sure. Now, as I just mentioned, I'm pretty sure he was born as George McCoy, and he seems to be born right around 1858. I don't know much about McCoy as a young boy, but it seems his mom died when he was very young, around three or so, and his father died in the Civil War when McCoy was about seven. Who exactly raised him I do not know, but he did have an aunt who lived in Muskegon that he was close with, and it's an interaction with this aunt and her boyfriend that really shoots McCoy quite literally into fame. This occurs July 25, 1881, with a 22-year-old McCoy who late that night, after drinking heavily, goes to the house where his aunt Hattie Davis, or Hattie Huff is, and where her boyfriend Porter Hackley is staying as well. The name Hackley you no doubt recognize, but maybe not the name Porter, who is the younger brother of Charles Hackley. Upon entering the house, McCoy and Hackley argue, and then McCoy finds Porter's gun on the table, which he picks up and then uses it to fire two shots into Porter Hackley. McCoy then proceeded to jump through the window to escape. Now to hear more about this story and the troubled life of Porter Hackley, please listen in on our podcast episode on him. But to sum up the reasons quickly why McCoy and Hackley didn't get along, it seems that a few years prior, Hattie and Porter had cornered the young man to try and talk him out of the life of crime he was already starting to go to. And by talk to him, it seems that Porter drew a gun and pointed it at McCoy while his aunt Hattie beat him. Not surprisingly, this technique seems to not only not keep George McCoy from turning to crime, but rather deepened a grudge he had for his aunt and Hackley. After jumping through the window, George McCoy fled town, and his description was put in the paper, giving us an idea of what the young criminal looked like. He was described as 5'10", 160 pounds, with a smooth face, light complexion, light hair, and very dark, heavy eyebrows. He also had light gray eyes. He was last known to be wearing a light felt hat with a black band and a dark gray suit of clothes mixed with small thread of red. Three days later, on July 28th, McCoy was discovered in Ferrysburg when a train depot agent recognized the man and called in the local sheriff. The sheriff would then escort him back to Muskegon traveling on the train. The sheriff later told the Chronicle that as he and McCoy talked on the ride, that McCoy was very scared and he had requested to the sheriff that he be put on trial immediately because he was afraid that as soon as he arrived in Muskegon that the crowd would take him and lynch him because he had shot a Hackley. Luckily for Hackley and McCoy, the wounds weren't too severe, and Hackley recovered, which meant McCoy would not be tried for murder. McCoy was charged for shooting Porter Hackley, though, and would serve six years in jail. Five years into his term, McCoy was sent to the Ionia Asylum for Insane and Dangerous Criminals in Jackson. After this prison term, McCoy disappeared from Muskegon headlines for a couple of years, but this was merely because McCoy had moved further north. 
The crime trail of George McCoy is next picked up in Bay City, Michigan, when news from there arrives in Muskegon that McCoy has been sentenced to Ionia Prison for assault with intent to do great harm. McCoy wouldn't stay there long, though, as he soon escaped from that prison. He would eventually be tracked down near Jackson, hiding under the floorboards of a relative's house. This capture was aided by letters from a Montague woman. It seems when McCoy was in jail for shooting Hackley, a misdoubt from Montague fell in love with him, much to her husband's chagrin, and the two exchanged letters. McCoy, when once out of jail, had an affair with the woman, or even potentially married her. When he was arrested again, the two continued to exchange letters. It was these letters that helped track him down later when he escaped. As for Mr. Dowd, he filed for divorce due to the situation. In 1896, McCoy was back in Muskegon causing trouble when on August 14th he was arrested for committing larceny from a boarding house he was staying at on Western Avenue called the Old Homestead. This is where the story of George McCoy gets even more interesting. While in jail in Muskegon for his crime, McCoy made a daring escape to freedom. According to the Chronicle, on September 24, 1896, McCoy put his plan in motion. The jail at the time had several individual cells arranged around in a square with a common central room and a hallway off of that that had a bathroom. This was on the top floor of the jail house. To escape, according to the police, McCoy had broke the lock on the bathroom door. Then, when night fell, he managed to trick the guard with some ventriloquism, I guess, to make him believe he was in the cell when really he was hiding in the bathroom that the guard believed to be locked. Once the guards left, McCoy tore up his blanket into strips and made it into a rope which he flung over a truss in the ceiling. He then tore a hole in a metal ventilator with his bare hands and climbed up the vent to the roof, even though the paper states the vent was hardly small enough for a child. McCoy then used his improvised rope to lower himself over the eaves, dangling 20 feet off the ground, before swinging over to the downspout and sliding down to freedom. The day following the escape, a police Justice Collins tried to recreate this attempt, but found it impossible, and that McCoy could only have done it if he had superhuman strength. As incredible as the story seems, it is indeed incredible and uncredible. Spoilers here, but McCoy would later be caught and would tell the story of his escape. His version goes a lot different and doesn't make Muskegon Ants Jail look too good, which is likely why the previous version exists. According to McCoy, when he was in the bathroom doing laundry, he noticed the vent in the ceiling. He then went out into the common room and grabbed a pair of shears, which were just lying around, and found a ladder to get him up high enough. Instead of using his bare hands to tear the metal open, he cut an opening with the shears, and then waited until night to return. How he escaped his cell, it doesn't say, but he would then head back to the bathroom door, which he mentions was hardly ever locked, which it was supposed to be according to the jail guards, and then proceeded much like described in the earlier story, climbing up the vent and going down the roof. After his disappearance, Sheriff Smith put out a $50 reward for his capture. Smith didn't have to wait long to see McCoy again, though, after his escape. After receiving a message a week later that McCoy was at a nearby boarding house called the Warnick, which was on the eastern end of Western Avenue, Smith went there and indeed did find McCoy. At this time, he put his hand on McCoy's shoulder and said, I have you. At this, McCoy grabbed a gun he had and turned and faced Smith, firing a shot. Sheriff Smith then dove to the floor as McCoy started to run and fired two more shots in his direction. Thankfully, Smith was unhurt, but McCoy was on the lam again, and he was now wanted for assault with deadly intent, 
with his reward being set for $100. McCoy was eventually tracked down in April of 1897 in West Superior, Wisconsin, when a man he was working with recognized him and turned him in. McCoy, once brought back to Muskegon, told his doings after his escape and what had happened at the Warnick when he shot at Sheriff Smith. Upon escaping jail, McCoy followed the train tracks east at night and slept in the bushes at day. Eventually, he made his way to Ashland Township, where he got a job on a farm husking corn. With this money, he returned to Muskegon as he remembered that a woman here named Cecilia Yarrow had a picture of him and he didn't want police to get it and post this image everywhere. It was while waiting for her that Sheriff Smith arrived. McCoy claims he had brought the gun to Muskegon just in case he needed to scare people off, but never intended to harm anyone or Sheriff Smith. He claimed that he shot to scare the sheriff but not directly at him. At his trial, Smith would agree with this assessment that McCoy didn't seem to be aiming to hurt him. After fleeing Muskegon again, McCoy followed the tracks to Kalamazoo, then took a train to Vicksburg and Fort Wayne, Indiana, where he worked for a while before moving to Chicago. After working a while in Chicago, McCoy thought someone there recognized him, and so he left for West Superior, where he was finally caught again after six plus months on the run. On May 6, 1897, the jury voted to convict George McCoy of assault with intent to do great harm. He was sentenced by the judge to Pierre Marquette Prison for 10 years, which was the maximum penalty. While in prison, McCoy became the prison barber, but didn't seem reformed enough as he was denied parole twice during the period. After a sentence, McCoy disappeared from the headlines for a few years. However, it seems he just couldn't keep himself out of trouble. The next time he pops up in the Chronicle is in an October 26, 1917 article mentioning how the almost 60-year-old McCoy, who was working at a prison farm near Jackson, has, you guessed, escaped. Much like before, McCoy made his way back to Muskegon, where he would be captured. It seems after arriving in Muskegon, he managed to get a job with Brunswick, where eventually he was recognized by a co-worker and turned in in July of 1918. Now from here, the story and life of crime of George McCoy does seem to end. At least I didn't come across any more records of it. Though it seems quite possible he found himself in jail again after finishing his last term. Much like his birth, his death has many mysteries. There is a record of a George McCoy dying and being buried in the lakeside area in 1926. However, the birth year on the tombstone does not match up to the 1858 birth year most commonly used. But even McCoy, at one of his trials mentions he does not know his exact birth year. So this could be McCoy, however, with all the aliases he possessed over his lifetime, it seems likely he is buried somewhere under a different name and we will never truly know when, how, or where George McCoy died. Thank you for joining us today and listening in as we relate the criminal exploits of what surely has to be one of the more slippery criminals in Muskegon's past. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode of Muskegon History and Beyond. <laughs> <laughs>